having an open heart and having the capacity and the encouragement of love in the workplace does not diminish your power, doesn't diminish your strength. It actually will exponentially increase it. You're listening to the Building a Coaching Culture podcast. If you need to compete and win in the 21st century labor market as an employer of choice, this podcast is for you. Each week, we share leadership development, coaching, and culture development insights from leading experts who are developing world-class cultures in their own organizations. And now, here's your host, J.R. Flatter. Hey, welcome back. J.R. Flatter here, as always, with my co-host, Lucas. Hello. He and I did legs this morning, so we're walking a little bit tenderly. Uh, holding on to the handrail. We wanted to start still near the beginning of the year, a refresher course on the fundamentals of coaching. So we'll have the next five or six sessions together talking about the fundamentals. And so this first one, this first session is actually titled An Introduction to Coaching. And so we'll spend this session introducing coaching talking about what it is and what it isn't, introducing our methodology for teaching. We are uh, ICF-accredited coach educators. We teach a global cohort. Matter of fact, 5 through 8 February, we have a new class coming up. But this is our introduction to our coaching and our education style. First thing I want to talk about is mindfulness. I just had an hour-long session with our mentors. We have a team of mentors that mentor our students. Because part of the journey to get a coaching accreditation is to get 10 hours of mentoring from a mentor coach. And so we're getting ready to start a new cohort of mentors. And so just meeting with them and, and was talking about mindfulness with them, you know, as we get Further and further into the 21st century, mindfulness, resilience, emotional intelligence, things we would have thought of as soft skills in the 20th century are just becoming so important. So the second slide in every deck we teach is uh, mindfulness. And it's a constant reminder to be mindful, to stay in the moment, to be resilient, to make human-to-human connections. And it depends on where you find your definition of mindfulness, and we all have our own thoughts on what it is. A lot of the competencies that we'll learn on this journey together are competencies that are asking us to be mindful. We're all humans. We're all subject to the human frailties, and our minds wander. So mindfulness also reminds me Stay here, stay in the session, stay with the leader, which I guess I could introduce right now. It's that idea that we call our students leaders. You and I focus primarily on leadership coaching and leadership coach education. Our leadership education programs are embedded in our Flatter Leadership Academy, which is primarily focused on developing leaders. What are your thoughts as we start on this journey, not only you know, an introduction to coaching, but also mindfulness? 
Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it kind of started as more of an intellectual thing, like metacognition. And, you know, I've heard some professionals, like even like a doctor from Mary Washington, which is our local doctor or our local hospital. I remember him speaking about that. And at the time, it was like five or six years ago, it seemed a little um, avant-garde, like a weird idea, just like you're saying. But you know, we're starting to see it in in every avenue, technology and and coaching especially. But I think it's something that you know it's becoming more mainstream, and it's the, people are seeing the value of it. And you know, clearing your mind and preparing to do a specific task. Yeah, and you just reminded me that a lot of the students that we work with, a lot of the leaders that we work with are competing in this global virtual labor market. And how do you attract and retain the world's best talent? And certainly to do that, you need a component of mindfulness, resiliency, purposefully making human to human connections. We coach and we educate at the intersection of the personal and the professional because your professional life is so intertwined with your personal life. Even when we think about and, and talk about goals, almost all goals are personal. They're lifetime things. And, and we'll talk about that later on. What's the difference between a goal and an objective? In the most basic sense, goals are things that are lifetime. And if you want to attract and retain people, you better be encouraging and supporting their goals, which are almost all personal. And that isn't to suggest that we're in a 24-7 work environment. That's not what we're suggesting at all. But if I have a personal goal, like I want to run a marathon or I want to lose some weight or I want to get my coaching accreditation as a personal objective, if my workplace isn't supporting that, I have a lot of options. And you, know, you hear terms like silent quitting and the great resignation you were to ask me, a lot of that's coming from poor leadership and 20th century leadership in a 21st century workplace. So the second slide in every deck we teach is mindfulness. The third slide, one of the things we've learned um, educating coaches for a while is a competency focus. We align ourselves to the International Coaching Federation. For better or worse, we consider the ICF to be the gold standard. And so, therefore, the ethics that we'll talk about, the core values that we'll talk about, the competencies that we'll talk about are all aligned to the International Coaching Federation. And during our education sessions, and we have several different ways of engaging with particular students, student coaches, we always focus in each session on a competency because we want to be familiar with the competencies approaching proficiency. And if you were to think about a continuum of learning, it starts with, I don't know anything, and it ends with mastery. And it's a lifelong journey from, I don't know anything to mastering any craft, whether it's running or swimming, golfing, being a leader, certainly is a lifelong journey. Being a coach is a lifelong journey I probably have a list of a dozen things that I learned in 2000, well, the last year. I don't want to date us too much here. 
but we're well into the 21st century. And so I'm on this journey too. And I continue to revisit the competencies and relearn and uh, strengthen my learning. A learning management system. Anybody who's been in education recently, well into the 21st century, technology has come a long way in how learning is managed. Most of our training is done virtually and all of the learning management system is in the cloud, stored virtually in a world-class learning management system that all of our student coaches are given access to into perpetuity. So it's not just while they're in our training programs, but we teach 5 p.m. Eastern U.S. time, Mondays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays year-round. And they're invited and given access to those classes. They'll be invited to the specific classes that they enroll in. Uh, you're more of a technology person than I am. What is it that you think is pertinent to the learning management system for our listeners and viewers? So something useful... Um is just keeping track of your hours. So mm-hmm. whether you're attending asynchronous or, or, you know, watching a video asynchronously or attending live training, you're at some point going to need to compile all of your training hours. And just like when, when I'm getting my security clearance renewed, I look at my last 10 year of addresses. I go to Amazon because I have <laughs> orders from the last 10 years. Ago. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> so, this can be, you know, it's helpful for the resources, but also just for the record keeping. Yeah, and there are, I'm glad you brought that up. Part of your coaching journey, part of your education journey is keeping track of training, live training and asynchronous training, but also keeping track of your hours of coaching. And you certainly can use the learning management system to help. Ultimately, it's the honor system. And so you and I don't approve logs we just review logs and look at the categorizations of what was counted for what and just affirm for the leader that they've counted the right hours in the right place Uh, and we'll talk in specifics about that later the fourth slide in every program that we teach this coaching journey will change the course of your personal and professional life we don't say that lightly It's not meant to be a flippant comment. It's meant to be very sincere. We see it happen over and over again. Personally and professionally, you're going to be transformed. It might be hard to imagine, you know, at the beginning of a journey, such a bold statement, but we've seen it so consistently across all of our training cohorts that we feel quite confident and comfortable saying it. And when you think about going back to our discussion about mindfulness, we just want to plant the seed and we want you to be ready for the change that's about to take place in your mind and in your leadership, the way you ask questions, the way you think, the way you make decisions, the way you parent. You're a young parent, the way I parent and grandparent, my relationship with my wife, has all changed because of this coaching journey that I'm on. And I'm on a lifelong journey, just like the rest of our listeners. I use the uh, Y equals MX plus B that you might remember from eighth grade algebra. 
it's the the slope of a line it's meant to measure your growth you're going to grow when someone asks is investing in coaching worth it whether it's an individual or whether it's an organization i can absolutely say yes that the slope of the growth is positive depending on who you ask just like any statistic right it just depends on who you ask how much roi will you get i quite consistently see uh, studies that say 7x or higher so for every dollar you invest in coaching you're going to get $7 back as a person or as an organization and ultimately as an individual coach or as an organization you're trying to develop a coaching style of leadership and develop a coaching culture that takes time and it takes investment but it's going to have significant return on that investment yeah something and i noticed is just in coaching you kind of like how it applies to parenting and other things like you know your professional life and your other skills uh, it kind of brings that self-efficacy question to the forefront of how confident am i in my own abilities to accomplish something maybe that i've never seen before and coaching like especially when you're first learning you're you're gonna have that feeling of oh am, am i capable of this but over time, you'll see the evidence, you'll see the reactions and, and people are giving you feedback, you know, real time feedback. And you can kind of come away with it with that feeling of, oh, I, if I can do this now, how do I apply this to, you know, my personal goals or my other professional goals? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, we talk about that a lot in our education sessions. And I think it's Malcolm Gladwell that will tell you it takes 10,000 reps to master something. So 10,000 swings of a golf club or 10,000 uses of a competency. I'm not sure of the scientific nature of that number, but certainly it's reps-based and it's good reps, not sloppy reps. If I swing a golf club 10,000 times wrong, I'm not going to be a master golfer. But if I just get a little bit better every day, and that's, that's also what the slope of the curve is meant to be. What did I learn in the year behind and what am I expecting to learn in the year coming? That's what a coaching journey is all about. So part of the introduction to coaching should be the idea that not only are you starting a journey to become a coach, but you're starting a journey where you should be coached. And so I have a few people in my world that I consider long-term coaches who have uh, similar coaching accreditations, but we do peer-to-peer -peer coaching years into our relationship. And there's always learning and discovery taking place in those conversations. We both know we're coaches. We're still learning. As you're being introduced to coaching, whether it's to become a coach or be coached, open your heart, open your mind and participate, be mindful, be present. Part of my learning in the year past was, I've always talked about right brain and left brain. The right brain is the, hey, let's do this fast. Let's get it done. And left brain is, let's slow down and think about this a little bit. In its most fundamental sense, artistry, like your guitar playing and your cartoonish, cartooning comes from your right brain. And your left brain's telling you the logical things and 
how to draw the same each time, how to play a chord the same each time. And so they work in harmony. Some people tend to be more right brain than left brain, but coaching and a coaching journey requires both open to the idea of this new skill, but also accepting that it's how the brain works. We talk a lot about neuroscience in our education programs. And part of the reps is creating neural pathways. That's a very left brain way of thinking. The right brain is the emotional intelligence and being present and thinking about what is the next best thing I can say. So open the heart in all of its capacity, or or open the brain in all of its capacity. Right brain and left brain are very relevant. But equally important is opening your heart. This is probably one that took me the longest to get my head around, given my own personality and my own upbringing. What does emotion have to do with it? What relevance does that have to learning how to be a better leader? But I'll tell you quite sincerely that having a place that talks about and encourages love in the workplace is what's going to attract and retain the world's best talent. I don't care who you are and how hard you are. Some of the strongest people I know in this world have the most open heart and are the most loving simultaneously. So having an open heart and having the capacity and the encouragement of love in the workplace does not diminish your power, doesn't diminish your strength. It actually will exponentially increase it. So get used to having emotions and encouraging your team to experience and talk about the emotions. When we talk about the eight competencies of coaching, which we'll talk about in great detail, it asks about the who three separate times very explicitly. And the the who in that competency is the human being you're coaching and what's going on in their body and their mind and their their spirit at that very moment. Yeah, I think with... um opening your mind it's it's easy for us you know if you're a professional with a lot of experience just any adult to think that you know you pretty much have things figured out i i just learned this really weird fact about trees how they communicate with each other and like so if one tree gets infected by like a bacteria or a fungus it'll like communicate with the nearby trees and tell them to like increase production of some antibody or something that can protect them from it so just like you see a tree every day oh i got that figured out i know what that is you know but if you have this kind of open mind anything can kind of have more magic behind it and we're looking at the slide with a picture of children it's that kind of attitude where you know i have no preconceived notions and i'm just gonna take this in and see how it's going to affect me without trying to you know be resistant to it <laughs> yeah and it's it's natural and very human to resist change i remember sitting in a conference and this person had 30 years of experience in their profession and someone said you must have seen a lot of change over the 
course of your career? And he said, yeah, I have. And I resisted every one of them. But it's a very human thing. It's a very human instinct. I know where I am and how it feels. And I don't know what it's going to feel like if I go over there with you. And so that is very human. So if we're trying to change someone as a leader or as a coach, we have to know they're going to naturally resist. And we have to have tools that are going to get us around that natural resistance. So I talked about the, the continuum knowledge a little bit earlier, but I'll talk about it in some detail right now. And depending on who you read, there are different scales of, of knowledge. Different scholars have different ways of talking about this. The most simple way that I've found, and I think the most useful that I've found, is this continuum that starts with, I'm absolutely unaware, and ends with, I'm a master at this. I've mastered this particular skill. And along the way, so let's say yesterday I was unaware of, I was unaware that trees talk to each other one minute ago. And now I'm aware of the fact that they do communicate with each other. And if I studied it more, I would become familiar with that topic. And I could have conversations. I could teach others. I could create value in people's lives with that familiarity. Beyond familiarity is proficiency. Where now I'm proficient. If I were to use a golfing analogy, I have all these clubs in my bag. I know what each one of them is meant to do and how far I can hit a ball with each of them. I know the long skinny one is a putter and I can play a round of golf. Probably going to be a score in the hundreds plus because I'm not a master golfer, but I'm a proficient golfer. I have practiced all the different shots. I play regularly. I could teach you the fundamentals. If I'm a master golfer, I probably play golf for a living or I'm a professional at a golf course and I'm shooting well below hundred, well below 80 probably. And it's a lifelong journey to become a master golfer. And I'm certainly not. And I've been told to even stay proficient. I have to play three times, three times a week. So I know personally and professionally, I'm just never going to be a master golfer. But let's take a step back and jump into this coaching world and say, what does it take to become familiar? Well, a fundamentals course, the ICF requires a minimum of 30 hours of any program to make the students familiar approaching proficiency. And so our basic boot camp is a 30-hour boot camp. The basic proficiency that we offer is that 30-hour level, whether it's in a boot camp or the live coach training that we teach in the afternoons. And so you're going to be familiar with all of the requirements of coaching, and you're going to be, if not proficient, approaching proficiency in the competencies and the ethics and the core values and how to ask a powerful question. And even after all these years in coaching, uh, I'm far from a master coach. Uh, I get better every cohort we teach. 
in every cohort we teach, one of our beginnings is one more thing. And it's one thing you want to leave this course without, that you don't want to leave this course without. And for me, it's always, I want to be a better facilitator. I want to be a better coach. And I get better and better every session. And I don't expect to ever stop learning. What are your thoughts on, where are you on this continuum? Probably same place I am. Yeah. And then I guess um, you can also, like, it's a continuum from one to another. And it's also, if you think about, like, a thousand people entering a particular skill, maybe one percent of them become proficient because every single day there's an off ramp and there's, you know, there's another thing to either distract you or maybe you're frustrated and you have, you know, you move on to something else. So I, I think like if you want to become proficient and master something, it's not that like you personally are not good enough or, you know, like I'm, I'm not special or, you know, I don't have the talent. It's just that you have to become one of those 1% and, you know, that by definition, it's, there's a version of you that quit yesterday and there's a version of you that quits in a week, you know? And then also I wanted to mention that like, that's the reason why learning in a group setting in school with other people, it's so valuable because now I'm seeing, okay, there's other people that aren't quitting this. And, and maybe if I'm better in one aspect of the overall skill, but I'm worse than another. I see like the opposite in another student, maybe. Yeah, you've reminded me of this idea of minimally viable. 21st century marketplace is very accepting of minimally viable products. That's how products mature now. When I was coming up, if it wasn't perfect, you didn't send it out the door. And so if, you ha if you're wondering, you know, do I have what it takes to be a coach? If you take a fundamentals class any fundamentals class, hopefully you'll take ours, you're going to walk away as a minimally viable coach. And we're not going to graduate you unless we're convinced you're minimally viable. But the way you seek and achieve proficiency is to practice and get out there and start taking your reps. You don't need anybody's permission to call yourself a coach. A lot of people are not accredited as coaches, but they're very proficient at coaching because they had the self-efficacy that you mentioned earlier to say, I could do this. The first coach I ever met had no training, was quite successful and quite talented, but no accreditation. So at a minimum, if you want to, I would say take 30 hours of formal training and walk away with a strong efficacy in the fundamentals that we're introducing in this session. Differences. So a lot of us grew up talking about mentoring and we're taught to be mentors. We're taught to seek mentors. Coaching is not a replacement for mentoring, but it's very different than mentoring. And they're actually strong complements of one another. And even teaching, teaching is even more formal than mentoring but it's about who owns what. And I'll put my professor hat on for a second and talk about findings, conclusions, and recommendations. So when I'm teaching, probably a master of something, or I should be, back to your, your idea of being proficient in only 1%, 1% 
know, there's an opportunity cost associated with becoming proficient. How many hours do you need to practice your guitar? How many hours do you spend drawing to become a proficient cartoonist or a proficient guitar player? And each of us is only given 24 hours in a day. So you have to ask yourself, do I want to become a master of this craft? And I've said yes to that in one area, and that's leadership. And a subcomponent of that is coaching as part of leadership development. So if I'm teaching, I think you would have an expectation that I'm I'm approaching mastery of coaching. I'm trying to teach you that. And I own the findings, conclusions, and recommendations that I know the eight competencies. I've concluded certain things from those eight competencies, and I'm recommending that you use them in your coaching. And the same is true of mentoring. If I decide it's an opportunity to mentor you, and I'm going to tell you a story, you were teasing me about all my dairy farm stories the other day. If I decide I'm going to tell you a story of when I was a dairy farmer, I've decided that I have the findings, I have the conclusions, and I have a recommendation for you. And so teaching and mentoring share those those ownership of those three things. But if I'm a coach, I don't take ownership of any of those three things. I leave those three things with the leader that I'm coaching. I help them, I facilitate their discovery of findings. I facilitate their discovery of what do they conclude from those findings. And I facilitate the discovery of what should I do next? What do I recommend to myself to do next? What actions do I take away? So for me, that's the simplest comparison that I've come across. I know it sounds a bit academic, I don't know, when you think about coaching versus mentoring versus teaching, how do you split those academic definitions? Yeah, I mean, I think for teaching and coaching, it's a little easier to make that delineation because it's like maybe a teacher says, like, one must do this in order to learn this. And and maybe mentoring makes it a little more specific, like I'm one-on-one with you like now oh, what are you having frustration with or what is difficult for you that I can help you with? And then coaching a step even beyond that, like not only am I one-on-one with you as an individual, but I'm trying to make discoveries about, you know, what you believe and how you're perceiving things and trying to get kind of in your head more than than a mentor or a teacher would need to. Yeah, and, and some of the other comparisons that come up a lot are therapy and coaching, clergy and coaching. There are a lot of things that are intertwined, a lot of professions, a lot of certifications, accreditations, licenses that would be boundaries with coaching and have overlap with coaching. And first and foremost, there's no reporting requirement for coaching. So if I were in law enforcement or if I were a clergyman or if I were a doctor of medicine, there would be certain things I would be required to report if they came into the conversation, if if I became aware of them, like violations of the law or self-harm, different things. And so as you approach those as a coach, 
you'll ask yourself as a human being, is this one of those boundaries of clergy or law enforcement or therapy? And only you'll have the answer. Even if the answer is yes, this is a boundary, unless it's immediately threatening, threatening harm to self, threatening harm to others, or a felonious level of the law, would you ever stop, stop and say, let's, let's stop coaching? The very next question you might ask is, what other resources are available to you besides coaching? I don't want to abandon you, but is this an opportunity to reach out to a therapist or reach out to a clergy? Or you've just informed me of a violation of the law. What, what do you intend to do about that? So one of the things that we always promise is confidentiality in a coaching session, but not absolute. If you are a clergyman or you are law enforcement or you are a therapist, being a coach doesn't negate you of any of those requirements. They are foremost in your responsibilities. And in the agreement phase, before you start coaching, you need to talk to the potential leader about when might you break confidentiality. And it's a very short list. It would, it's very rare. It's by the rarest of exception that you would have to stop coaching, even a session, but especially a relationship. And you want to have very frank conversations before starting. Now, here are the do's and don'ts of my coaching practice. If the boundary that you think you've approached requires a license, requires a degree, requires some kind of accreditation other than coaching, then you need to make that part of your conversation. You don't have protections that clergy and medical doctors have of those conversations. And so if a felonious information comes into uh, your conversation and if you are asked to testify, you don't have any of those protections. And your leader that you're coaching should know that. And you should know that. If you tell me that same thing as a clergyman or as your medical doctor or your therapist, I have some privacy of those conversations. You have an expectation of that privacy. And in the rarest of circumstances, that privacy can be broken. You don't have those privacies in a confidential coaching conversation. And your leader needs to be aware of those. And then finally, and I think part of our closing on this session will be coaching is looking forward. Therapy is looking back. Law enforcement is looking back. Clergy, a lot of the conversations would look backwards and say, where did this pain come from? When and where did you violate the law? When and where did this trauma occur? In coaching, we're always looking forward and growing. So if the conversation is looking backward and trying to heal, then that's probably a conversation of, with, between a therapist and the leader. It doesn't mean you stop the coaching session. It doesn't mean you stop the coaching relationship. It just means that it becomes part of the conversation and you look to your knowledge, skills, and abilities and experiences as a coach and say, What's the next most powerful thing that I can do in this relationship, 
in this conversation. So as always, I give you the final word and uh, we'll, we'll sign off from this introduction session. Yeah. And yeah, I think that coaching versus therapy thing, it is, it does come up a lot and it, it is a little ambiguous, but it, what you said about kind of like healing and looking back, that resonates with me because it's like, yeah, maybe there's trauma or, you know, even a mental health issue, which, you know, could be a chemical imbalance or there's all sorts of things that, you know, that's for the purview of, of therapy. And it's something that, you know, we, we can kind of talk about it and guide through, but there are professionals that are better at that. And I would say that therapy has some overlapping with coaching where, you know, like they can help you like figure out what your goals are and what success is for you. But that's probably the main purview of, of coaching. So yeah, looking forward and how do you get what you want out of life? That's all about coaching. Well, thanks for being here with me. Uh, remind everybody we have a open enrollment bootcamp coming up the 5th through the 8th of February. I know it's getting close to that date, but uh, you're welcome to join us. And with that, We'll sign off and uh, see you all soon, I hope. Well, that concludes this episode of Building a Coaching Culture. I truly hope that this episode was helpful to you. If it was, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Maybe stop and give us a rating or a review and share this podcast with someone who might find it helpful as well. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.